All right. Well, hey, Jude, and whatever other name you have, really, really glad that you are with us, whether you're online or at one of our campuses. You know, I thought that song, uh, I would have to wait until I taught on a New Testament book named Jude. I've done that before, and we did that song before, but I, I thought I'd have to wait for that. So was, I was really happy when the team said, hey, let's do it for this series built around name, just an iconic song about a name. And I know that's, that's kind of a loose tie to the talk. However, it's an awesome song, so it doesn't matter. And um, names are important. Um, you know, what, like some of you are expecting right now, or, you know, you, you're, uh, you're, you know, I was about to say you're both pregnant, but that doesn't make sense. But anyway, right, you're about to have a baby and you're thinking about what am I going to name this baby? And that's a that's a really big decision because remember, your baby's going to be in junior high one day and it's going to have to go through junior high with that name. So choose well uh, to make junior high easier, right? Don't, you know. And uh, the big names right now, the top two are for girls, Olivia, for boys, Liam. It's kind of interesting. When, uh, with great names, but Jeffrey, my name, guess where it is in the top 200? It's not there. <laughs> it's, I, I'm passe. I'm old news. Um, but, you know, names are a big deal. Uh, and, and it's also a big deal, right, when people remember your name, especially when you don't expect them to. Like, you know, somebody you don't really know very well or maybe even somebody at work or maybe your CEO or whatever. And they walk by you and they, know, they say, hey, and they say your name. And you're like, whoa, wow, they know my name. Uh, on the flip side, though, we probably all know what it's like to wish we were better at remembering people's names. And certainly in my job, it would be way better if I was better at remembering names. I meet a whole lot of people and I'm not so good at that and I need to get better and uh, because I, I'm not. And, and, and you can try to fake it till you make it, but it's obvious, right? You go, hey, you, you know, or hey, buddy, or hey, girl, or whatever. Or, or in Christian, some Christian circles, not so much uh, us. But in some Christian circles, they make it a little bit easier because they do the brother, sister, hey, brother, hey, sister. And, uh, and, and that makes it somewhat better. But although that can backfire, like I had a friend when I was involved in um, hockey, when our kids played hockey and I was involved in that world, coaching and different things. And, uh, and one of my friends there, a non-church person, not a believer, was really proud to let me know that he had visited a church. And I was like, oh, that's cool. I said, how did it go? Terrible said, really? I said, what happened? He said, well, here's how it started. I, I, we go into the doors of this church and somebody, you know, nice enough person is opening the door for us and, you know, there to, you know, say hi. And he looks at me and he said, and this guy's pretty blunt, my friend. And he says, hey, uh, hello, brother. And my friend just didn't have any context for that. And so he's like, hey, look, I don't know you. You don't know me. I have two brothers and you're not one of them. You're not my brother. And the poor guy at the door is well, oh, okay, you know. And so, well, did it have, what happened? Oh, it only got worse after that. I was like, okay, I don't want to hear the whole story, right? So, you know, the hey brother thing, maybe that doesn't work. It's good to remember names because names are important. And, of course, a name is more, especially in the Bible, and when we talk about names of God in this series, it's more than just what you call somebody to get their attention or, or in a conversation, in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, names of people, and certainly these names of God, refer to their character. They reveal something about them. And each of these names of God that we're looking at in this series is a different facet of God's character. And they all have story behind them and help us see God more 
deeply and more accurately. And that's a, that's a really, really important thing. Because 100% of us in this room, all of us, we don't know it, but all of us have a skewed perspective of God. And over time, as you grow spiritually, I think we'll be doing this for all eternity. We'll get to know God deeper and deeper and more and more and more because he is bigger and better than we can imagine. And, and all of us, we, we have these different ad, we, views of God and, and views of how God views us based on how we grew up, based on things that we heard, based on things we've seen, based on experiences we've had. And if we have these, and all of us do, but if we have a skewed view of God, then it's going to skew our relationship with him and, and skew the way we live life. If we have a skewed idea of how God views us and, and what he thinks of when he thinks of you, what he thinks of me, that's going to change our whole life and change the way we relate to God. And so in this series, we have the opportunity to say, God, help adjust the skew to who you really are. And help us know who you really are and relate that way. And when we do, it really changes everything. And today we're going to see an aspect of God's character that is really hard to grasp. And we're going to talk about, but really important to begin to grasp. And it's maybe of all the names of God, it's maybe the most important one. Because this is the name when he's asked, what is your name? This is the name that he says. And he calls it his eternal name. So this is like the name he calls himself. This is, this is his name for all eternity. The other names of God are great. They're wonderful. But they're all names that humans gave to him. And they all have a story. And that's cool, too, because they named him the, this. And God loved it. And be like, yeah, I love that. You can call me that. So each of those have a great story. But this one is the name of God that God gave when he said, when somebody said to him, what is your name? And then he reveals the essence of his character. And I'll warn you, it's better than you think. So the story is, uh, is in Exodus, um, where as far as we know, this is the first time God says this name. At least it's the first time in the Bible. And if you know much about Bible characters and all that, when you might think when you hear Exodus, if you are a Bible kind of person, grew up in church that it has something to do with Moses and you'd be right. One of the bigger characters in the Bible. And if you know about Moses, maybe you saw the Prince of Egypt movie or something like that. You know his story a little bit. So it, Moses grew up when Israel, the Israelites were in, uh, in Egypt as slaves and they were subjugated as slaves. Egypt, the most powerful nation on the planet at the time, by far the superpower on the planet. And Pharaoh decides that there's too many Israelites populations growing too much. He's afraid of a rebellion. And so he decides to trim the population in a terrible way by killing uh, uh, babies, uh, male babies under a certain age to reduce the population. Moses's mom, I mean, Moses is that age. Moses's mom, of course, doesn't want that to happen. So to rescue him, she puts him in a little uh, boat basket thing, floats him in the Nile River Right past, and Moses floats right past the palace of Pharaoh. Uh, one of the daughters of Pharaoh finds the baby, raises the baby uh, as her own. That's why that movie's called Prince of Egypt. Um, at, in, in Pharaoh's household, he's raised. As he gets older, he starts to realize as a young adult who he is, like what his heritage is, that he's actually one, he's not Egyptian, he's one of the Hebrews. And when he sees a, an Egyptian person 
uh, mistreating a Hebrew slave, he gets mad. And to, in part, I think, to ingratiate himself to his fellow Hebrews, he decides to kill this guy. He does kill the Egyptian. Um, but the Israelites aren't all appreciative. They're like, we don't know you and we don't want trouble and you're making trouble for us. Get away. So he's rejected by the Hebrews and now he's a fugitive of justice for committing murder. So he leaves Egypt, goes out into this place called Midian, this other country out in the middle of nowhere. And that's where this story happens. So he's been there for decades. He's uh, works for his father-in-law, which can be challenging, but uh, maybe it worked. I don't know. But he's, wor- he's out in the uh, fields with these sheep uh, as a shepherd. And he sees, you probably know about this part of the story too, if you saw the movie. He sees a, a bush, burning bush, right? All of a sudden this bush catches on fire. But it's really curious because it's not burning up. It's on fire, but it's not burning up. So he goes to see what's going on. And when he does, the bush begins to talk. And he knows right away this is God talking. And I don't know if you know this. Uh, you can look in the Bible if you want to. What does he say when he sees all that? He says, holy Moses. That's what he says. No, it's not. I guess that joke. It was a lot better when I wrote it in my manuscript. And I guess it, I don't know if that'll make the next one or not. But he said, you know, I don't know what he says. But we do know what the bush says, what God says. Because God says, hey, Moses. I've decided it's time to rescue my people and take them home to their country. Rescue my people from slavery. And Moses at first must have been like, oh, thanks for letting me know. It's a really good plan. I love it. You know, I'm all for it. You know, if you. But that's not it, right? He said, and you are going to be the one I use to make that happen. You are going to be the ones to lead my people home and rescue my people from the hand of Pharaoh. And Moses is like, what are you talking about? Why don't you do it? Like, you know, why, what am I? You know, I'm supposed to do this. And by the way, this is a bonus, okay? This is an extra, like, sermon, just tiny little one. A lot of times we, look, we might get frustrated. We look at the world and all that's broken, and we think, God, why don't you do something about that? Why don't you do, why don't you do more? And you know the reality is how God generally works is he works through people like Moses and people like you and me. And you and I are already called and gifted to do something. And so if you get really passionate and frustrated about why this thing's so broken and nobody and God's not doing anything, you know what you need to do is start doing something. And God will use you to do that. That's how he works. So with Moses, that's what he says. But Moses is like, okay, wait, God reveals the plan. He's like, got some problems with it. He's like, wait a minute, God. So the plan is... I'm supposed to go back to Egypt, first talk to the Israelites, these millions of people, talk to the Israelites and let them know that I was out in the wilderness, this burning bush told me that I'm, that they gotta pack up their bags and they're gonna, we're gonna, you know, we're, we're gonna go back home to Israel and they're gonna believe that, like, I, you know, and then, and then I'm supposed to go to Pharaoh and say, hey, you know your whole labor force that's building all these really cool buildings, it'll be tourist attractions one day. Um, yeah, they're not going to be your force. Because, you know, this burning bush told me it's God, but this burning bush told me that it's time to let them go back home. And so let's just talk logistics because that's the plan. And he's like, hey, wait a minute. I'm not sure if that's a good plan. Like, how's that going to work? And so he's got these objections. You and I would, too. And one of his objections relates to the name of God that we're looking at today. Because he says, hey, look, when I go to Israel, that part, and I tell them, burning bush, God told me, and they ask me, what is the name of God? What is the name of the God, really, that you, that told you this? What am I going to say? Now, that reveals something about Moses. 
Moses grew up as an Egyptian. Now he's in Midian. Both are cultures that are polytheistic, meaning lots of gods, hundreds of gods. That's how he's grown up. He's not grown up as a Hebrew. If he had grown up as a Hebrew, I don't think he would have asked that question because he would have known that there's only one God and that's what Israelites believe. He would come to believe that. But at this point, he doesn't. And so he's so it's pretty easy if you're monotheistic because you say, well, God told me. But he's not in that mind frame. He's like, well, what's the name of the God? God, what, what name do I say so that they know? Because like lots of God, that's what was in his mind. And by the way, if you're waiting to know everything you feel like you need to know to be used by God, don't. You can learn on the job. It's another bonus sermon. You didn't pay for that one. Just crazy how generous we are. So anyway, he got, so that's so he says, God, I, what do I call you? And God doesn't correct his theology. He doesn't give him a little lesson on monotheism. He's going to Moses is going to learn that he's going to know that there's one God. But that's what he does now. He just obliges and he said, oh, OK, let me tell you my name. And that's the name we're focused on today. In Exodus 3:14, he says, God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Now, that's our name today. Yahweh. Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. And that name is Yahweh, which translated means I am extended. I am who I am. It became so holy because God says this is the eternal name that Israelites stopped saying it out loud. They believed it was inappropriate. That's not what God intended. They got a little bit overboard with that. Um, and, and, and actually, people forgot even how to pronounce it. Because in Hebrew, they only have consonants. They don't have vowels. And, uh, and so if you know the vowels, that's great. But they didn't. And so, that's a, uh, so that was kind of a thing for a while. But it's Yahweh. The name of God that he gives. And, and it means I am who I am or I am. Now, when you hear that, you think, well, that doesn't really tell me very. I am who I am. It's like if you were signing a contract and somebody said, hey, look, there's this contract. I want you to sign it. And uh, and and you're like, well, what does it say? Goes, oh, it is what it is. Just sign it. Okay, I need a little bit more. Like it is what it is. Doesn't tell me. Or if you ask somebody in your family at the end of the day, come home, everybody's eating dinner. And they're like, so how was your day today? What happened today? You know what? It was what it was. Be like, OK, that's not very helpful. Right. That was like, what was it? And, and at first, you know, that's kind of what this is like. I am who I am. Like, OK, great. What are you? What is that? Now, God is going to fill it out. But let's pause for a minute because we actually learn a lot more than we might think from just this. I am who I am. Couple things, at least. One is when God says, I am who I am, it tells us that he is that he is a person, that he has personhood, that God is not a force in the universe. He's not a, like, ooh, you know, he's not, or he's not the universe. He's God. He's a person who can be known and who wants to know us. And that's huge. And I don't know where you're coming from spiritually, but a lot of people in our culture, and, and you may be like this, a lot of my friends who don't know Jesus are in that mode of that God is like a force in the universe or the universe. And so, you know, friends of mine will say things like, hey, sending out, sending out good vibes from the universe or um, or something like, uh, 
hey, I, you know, the universe drew us together, and I'm, I'm so thankful that the universe got us together. And, and those are nice sentiments and all that. But just think about it, if you're open to the possibility that God is a person who created the universe. He's not the universe. He created the universe and who is in control of the universe and who knows you. And as we're going to see today in a big way, loves you and wants to have a relationship with you. And that we can actually talk to him who can control things. It's not just a good luck, but it's way better than that. It's pretty amazing. And that's what we're, I mean, that's the God of the Bible is he is a person. Personhood is a big thing. Another thing that we learn from that is that God is who he is. I am who I am, regardless of what we think about him. He's not a product of our imagination. It's not like you have your version of God and I've got my version of God and you've got your version of God. And sometimes people talk like that. Well, you know, my God, um, you know, my God would never do that. Uh, you know, my God would, you know, is like this. It was, it, okay, maybe, but you probably ought to find out because God is not a product of your imagination. He's not whoever you make up. God exists beyond our belief, beyond our imagination. He is who he is. Whatever I think about him, it doesn't, doesn't change him because he is who, I, who he is. That's why I have this box up here. I was thinking about this a little bit, how we can kind of design God in our own image sometimes. And, uh, and I, you know, we have a granddaughter, Eden, who's turning two in a couple of weeks. And I thought, you know, this would be a fun birthday gift. And I've heard about this stuff, and I've never, I've never had little girls. So I just thought this would, be, uh, this would be cool to do. Can some of you guess? what? It's a Build-A-Bear. And so I'm not super familiar with a Build-A-Bear, but, man, it's a way for somebody to make a lot of money. I know that. And, uh, and so I, I, I decided to do, go online and do a Build-A-Bear. Now, eventually, I'll look forward to us maybe uh, going with her when she's, you know, and do that. But I don't have time for that for the sermon illustration. She's in Colorado. So, um, so I made a, I, I went online, designed my own Build-A-Bear. Here it is right here. I think I did good. It was kind of fun. Got the little tutu and little happy birthday thing because it's her birthday. We, you know, she's in Colorado, so I got her a little ski hat. And, and also named her. You know, you do a birth certificate. I named her Yaya Bear um, because uh, Christy, my wife, uh, Eden calls me Pops. Our plan was for Eden to call Christy Lolly, you know, Lolly Pops, that kind of thing. Uh, but uh, Eden has vetoed that. So Eden calls Christy Yaya. Actually, Yaya, 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 uh, is the way she says it. Um, but Yaya. And uh, so uh, this is Yaya Bear. And to remind her, Christy. And, um, and, and Yaya Bear, of course, loves Eden. And so I had that added too. I love you. Can you hear that? I love you. There you go. I love you is what she's saying. And so therefore she's got, you know. So uh, she'll get this in a couple of weeks on her birthday. Right? It was fun doing this. I, I, I enjoyed doing my Build-A-Bear and designing my own thing. But God is not a Build-A-Bear. We can't build our own God. We can't say, well, you know, mine's kind of like this, but not like this. And, you know, God is who he is. And what we're going to see is that's way better than what you and I could design. But it still begs the question. I, I mean, I am who I am says a lot, but it's still like, well, then, OK, I am who I Who are you? And Moses, about 30 chapters later in Exodus, is going to get there and he's going to say he's, he knows a lot more about God and knows God way better. 30 chapters later than here at the burning bush story. But he is trust God enough. He's got enough of a relationship with God. He's gotten the Ten Commandments, the law and all this kind of stuff from God. And he says, God, show me your glory. 
which is a Bible way to say, show me who you are. I want to know who you are. I, show, what, what is your I am-ness? I, I want to know who you are at the core, at your essence. And God is going to oblige that. And, and it, it's a really dramatic story. And here it is. So when he asks God that, God says, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. Now, that's a big clue. He doesn't say all his greatness, all his power, all his anger, all his. It's interesting. He says, I will cause all my goodness because at the core, God is good. Yeah, he's powerful. He's all kinds of things. But this, he's going to display his goodness. I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim my name, the Lord. Now, when you see that in our English translations, Lord, all caps, the name is Yahweh. Okay, so that's Yahweh. So I will proclaim my name Yahweh in your presence. I'll proclaim I am who I am. I'm going to show you who I am. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Think, why is he talking about mercy and compassion? We'll see why when he proclaims his name and fills it out. 34, 5. A few verses later, that happens. Now, this is my translation. When about, this is the Jeff International Version. Okay, so this is my translation from the Hebrew because... I had to go to seminary and learn it. I might as well use it, number one. But number two, um, I just wanted to bring out the Yahwehs that are in here and some of the nuances of the language. So Hebrews 34, 5. Then Yahweh came down in the cloud. He took his place beside Moses there and he called out the name Yahweh. Next, Yahweh passed in front of him and called out, Yahweh, Yahweh. Can you tell us that something to do with Yahweh? Called out, Yahweh, Yahweh, I am who I am. And who's that? Who's that? A God compassionate and gracious, slow to get angry, overflowing with love and always faithful, unwavering in my committed love for thousands, forgiving wickedness, transgressions and sins, and holding responsible for generation the guilt of the fathers. Now, this is God saying, let me share with you who the I am is. Here's my I amness. Here is my, here, who I am at the core. This is not... He's something else, and then he chooses to be this way. This is who he is. This is his nature. He will never be any other way than this, because this is who he is. He is unchanging. We can always, whatever this is, he's sharing that this is who I am at my core. And it's really interesting what he says. And like I said, this is, gets in the too good to be true part the more you dig into it. So let's dig into it. Because here's... Here's all the words that he uses, eight different descriptors of his I am-ness, I am who I am. First, he says compassionate, which is interesting. That's where he starts. Compassionate. The word is a powerful word. It's a word in the Hebrew that related to the word for womb. And the picture of that word is, is a mom who has a baby in her womb. And, and I've never been a mom with a baby in my womb. But I can imagine as a dad that every, and certainly I've observed this with my wife, with her kids, that everything from that moment on, like everything in you, everything in your heart is all about that baby. And whatever is best for that baby, everything just switches. Like all of a sudden you're a different person because of that, of that child. And God is, is saying that's what, that, that's what I am like as it relates to you. And then he says gracious, compassionate and gracious. Grace is giving what somebody doesn't deserve. It's not just 
not giving you what you don't deserve. That's cool. But it's going way beyond that. It's giving you what you don't deserve. It's related to generosity. And if you've ever prayed and you're just hoping, you know, that God will be generous to you or that God might be as generous as you are. God is way more generous than you are. Way more generous than I am. He is gracious. Always willing to give. He's also slow to get angry. Again, this is his nature. This is who he is. Slow to get angry. He does not have his finger on the trigger. Just ready to get you. Ready to zap you. Ready for you to be out of line. He's going, oh, good. What? It's not him. He is slow to get angry. Some of you are fast to get angry. You know that. You got a temper and it gets you in trouble. Some of you are slow to get angry. You, you let people have a lot of rope. God is way in a whole other category of the slow to get angry thing. Overflowing with love and always faithful. You know what you will find if you go into God's presence? And I don't care who you are. I don't care what you've done. I don't care how big you've messed things up. I don't care what you think you deserve because you probably do. I do too. Deserve from God. But all you'll get from God when you come into his presence is overflowing love. That's his nature. It's who he is. At his essence, he's love. And, And that love is overflowing. It will never run out. And always faithful. You can always count on God to be God. He doesn't change. You can always count on God to keep his promises. You can always count on God to be loyal. In fact, that gets us to the next part when he says unwavering and committed love. That's one Hebrew word that I translated that way. And it's, it's an important, one of the most important words in the Bible. It's, uh, it's, it's often translated love or faithfulness, all kinds of things. Because it's hard to translate. It's such a big word. And the Hebrew word, you can, it's kind of good because you can clear your throat. This is allergy season for some of us. So maybe this will be helpful. But it's chesed. Go ahead and try it. Just say chesed. Um, we just say chesed. But, you know, a good Hebrew could be able to say that without it being awkward. But chesed. And it means loyal, committed, covenantal love. That God relates to us with a covenantal love. Like marriage is, is, a, is, a relation, is an example of that. Marriage is a relationship with a vow at the center of it. And that vow isn't just to stay together out of stubbornness. That vow is to say, I am going to love you no matter what. Even if you don't love me. I'm going to love you. I'm going to do what's best for you. I'm not giving up on you. And in our culture, because we're so individualistic... We don't do that very well. So we break covenants. We float from relationship to relationship, from whatever, company to company, from church to church, from what, because we're, we're pretty individualistic. But God isn't. And, and God is saying, look, I, I'm loyal and I'm committed to you and I'm not going anywhere. And I will always have your best interest at heart. And like the Bible says somewhere else, you can deny me, but I won't deny you. When we begin a relationship with him and we begin a covenant relationship with him, he always keeps it. And then it says forgiving and just. Forgiving makes sense with this, right? That God is by nature is forgiving. He, he's quick to forgive. We don't have to talk him into it. Like he's already, he's just wired that way. He is forgiving. But then it said, then just. And because and, and it, it says that he will hold accountable the sins of the fathers to generations at the end. And it seems like that doesn't fit the rest of the stuff, Right? It's like on Sesame Street, you know, one of these things is not like the other. One of these things doesn't belong. You're thinking, yeah, that doesn't fit. That like negates everything. But it doesn't. God's love demands justice. 
And we know that when we look at the world and we see people who are treated with injustice and they're victims of the powerful. And you think, God, why don't you do something? Because love demands that you do something. You can't let this happen. He's been like, and the Bible says God is storing up his wrath and his justice and he will pour it out because God is just. Now, the good news is the Bible says that his mercy triumphs over his judgment, justice, and that where we see that is the cross. Because notice at the cross, God didn't just say, ah, whatever, with our sin. No, he came here. Jesus came here, took the punishment. He didn't ever sin. Took our punishment on the cross. The Bible says God made him who knew no sin become sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus took the penalty for you and me. That's God in his grace. He, took, he takes the penalty. And, but he doesn't just say, ah, whatever, because he can't. He's just. Must punish sin. He does, but he takes it on himself. And he offers you and me as a gift forgiveness. And you can either know God's grace or you can know God's justice. It's your choice. I think it's an easy choice. If you hire me as a consultant, I can help you out with that. Go with God's grace, not his justice. But it's a choice. So you put all that together. In fact, let me read it again. First time, I think, Jeff International Version's ever been read. So it's kind of exciting. Um, then Yahweh came down in the cloud. He took the place beside him there and he called out the name Yahweh. Next, Yahweh passed in front of him and called out Yahweh, Yahweh, I am who I am. A God compassionate and gracious, slow to get angry, overflowing with love and always faithful, unwavering in my committed love for thousands, forgiving wickedness, transgressions and sins and holding responsible for generation, the generations, the guilt of the fathers. God, the real God, who he, the I am who I am is way better than you and I would ever come up with and build a bear or build a God. He's way beyond what we can imagine. And his love for you, his compassion for you, his commitment to you is way beyond what we can even comprehend. And, the, and, and as we begin to just initially grasp that and, and to grow in that, it changes everything about how we not only view God, but how we live life and certainly how we live the Christian life. And the New Testament talks so much about this. And, and, uh, and we're going to read a passage. It's just an incredible prayer related to this, kind of a New Testament version of what we just read. And it became really important to me this year. Um, I started this year on a sabbatical. Um, I do a study break in July, and, and that's important. It's always, but that's always about production. I, I produce, uh, I mean, this time I wrote a book too, but I produce sermon series and other kinds of content and vision and other things for the year. So that's about, I, I, I pray for you and the request on, that's about doing stuff. I mean, it just, that I can't do when I'm here. That's not a sabbatical. But I did for the first time in 33 years I've been doing this, I did a sabbatical. And, uh, and I, I, you know, if you were here, we did the series from Israel that I taped. A lot of people thought I was just hanging out in Israel for a few months. I, I wasn't. Uh, we went in September and I, it, it just for 10 days and filmed all that and then put them together. And when I was on sabbatical, I was also speaking. It was kind of cool on the weekends from Israel, uh, those talks that we put together in the fall. And we were in Colorado most of that time. We have family there. Um, and, and it was an amazing time, way beyond what I would have ever thought or dreamed. I freaked out at three weeks. Like, I'm done. I, I just, but then at three weeks is where God really started to do something in me. And I'm not the same person as I was before that because of just understanding God's heart in a way deeper way than I ever have and experiencing that. 
See, I went to sabbatical and I had my questions. And the questions I had for God, a lot were about my role at Chase Oaks and our church and the future. And like, you know, as I'm, I don't know, last 10 years run here, I'm, I'm getting older. So what does that look like? I had questions about that. I had questions about, you know, just church and culture in general. As, you know, church culture has changed so much in a post-COVID world. And, and I thought they were really good questions. And they were good questions. But as I tried to give those to God and go to those with God, it was like God saying to me, hey, you know what? I don't care. I mean, I do care. And there's time to talk about your role and the church. There's time for that. It's just not what this is about. So it's just not, I don't care about that right now. Let's just put that aside. Because what God cared about was revealing his heart to me in a way that I didn't expect. And it was life-changing for me. And uh, in the way that happened is I, this is what I would do every morning. I would get up and I would read, I was reading a couple of, of, I started with Hebrews, but read different books of the Bible and read also these books that were, that were focused on God's heart. When I'm gentle and lowly, uh, that's a great book by Ray Ortland. Um, my, my uh, daughter-in-law had given me that. So I would read slow. I normally read fast, but I forced myself to read slow. I read some John Ortberg books, some Brennan Manning books, and all of them happened to be around God's heart. I, that was just God arranging that. And then I would uh, pray and then go ski by myself in the morning and ski with God. I have worship music in my AirPods and just focus on that thought. And then at lunch, somebody, I would ski with people and just have fun the rest of the day and the next day would go. That's a pretty cool time. But God just did something in that. And, and my prayer, I mean, the prayer that became the whole prayer of the sabbatical. And really for you, this is how I pray for you all the time now. When I came back, all I, I, mean, all I cared about, and I told the staff this, I was like, hey, I know we do lots of things really great. And there's lots of vision, lots of ideas. And, but really the main thing I care about is that we represent the heart of God accurately to the people that he loves. Because they don't know how good he is. They think he hates them or they think he's not interested. They don't know how good he is and how deeply they're loved. None of us do. And so here's Paul's prayer in Ephesians 3. This is my prayer for you. And we're going to pray this for ourselves in a minute. Paul says this for his friends in the Ephesian church. For this reason, I kneel before the father from whom every every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And here's the prayer. I pray that out of his glorious riches. He may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, he's calling on the almighty power of God to do something that we cannot do ourselves. And here it is. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power, God's power, together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp in the sense in the languages to begin to grasp. How wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. He's calling on God's almighty power. You know, okay, God, what are you going to do? Great, you can do anything. And he's calling on God's almighty power to do this. To begin to help us just even begin to grasp. The height and depth and length and breadth of his love for us. That's Paul's big prayer. Because you and I can't get this on our own. 
We, we think, oh, I know God loves We have no idea the length and breadth and height and depth. And we'll spend all eternity diving deeper and deeper into the breadth and depth and length and breadth of his love for us. And when we begin to understand how deeply we're loved by God, unconditionally and without limit, it changes everything in the Christian life. Like John in the New Testament, he wrote the book of John. Um, and he was one of the disciples. And you know what he called himself? He never refers to himself when he's in the stories by John or he doesn't say me. He always refers to himself in the third person, which at first is a little bit weird. I don't know if you know anybody who refers to themselves like um, in the third person. But um, I forget who it was on Seinfeld that did that. Uh, but I'm trying to remember that guy's name anyway. But Jimmy. Yeah, Jimmy. That's right. Jimmy likes Elaine. Jimmy's new in town. Jimmy. Um, but he always referred to himself in the third person. And, it, and, it, and here's how he refers to himself. As the one that Jesus loved. The disciple that Jesus loved. Now he was not being exclusive. He knew. He, he was with God all those years. He knew that God loved everybody the same way. But his identity changed. His identity became. Oh I'm the one God loves. That's who I am. God loves me. And if you open up your life to Jesus. That's who you are. He just wants to pour his unlimited love into you. He, he doesn't love like we do. He's way beyond that. And so I want us, we're going to pray. And, and I just, I want us to get to that place in this series. Just like John did. That as we look at different aspects of God's character through these names, that we'd be like, wow. I am loved in a wild and crazy way beyond anything I could have ever imagined. I'm, I'm the one God loves. So let's bow our heads together. And for some of you, as we pray this prayer, um, it might be a way to begin a relationship with God because Jesus is God who came for you. And, and when we talked about the justice of God, he took your sin. That's what he died for on the cross to make it possible for you and me to be forgiven. And he offers that freely as a gift. And you can just say, God, I, I want to be forgiven. I, I want to know you. For some, this might be a way to come back to God. Maybe you've been, you know, you've just been out there. And you think, God, you know, I've got to do a bunch of stuff so that I can, God will feel good about me again. You don't. He just loves you exactly the way you are. He knows what you've done. He, I, he, just come to him. And what you'll find is love and grace and mercy. Because that's who he is. And for all of us, this is an opportunity to say, God, I, I admit, I, I don't have a clue. I need your power to help me even begin to grasp the height and depth and length and breadth of love for me. And to know the love that surpasses knowledge. Because it's not just knowing it, it's experiencing it. Because trust me, I, I, could, I preach sermons on the stuff I grew deeper in on sabbatical. It, it wasn't about knowledge. It's about knowing that surpasses knowing. It's an experience of God's. And, and, and so let's open ourselves up to that. And invite you to pray with me something like this. God... Would you, with your almighty power, do what I cannot do myself? Would you begin to open my eyes and my heart to begin to understand, to begin to grasp the height and depth and length and breadth of your love for me? And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. God, would you help me understand it so much that I begin to think of myself. My first thought about myself is, oh, I'm the one God loves. He just loves me.
Father, we thank you for your goodness. We worship you as Yahweh. I am who I am. Compassionate, gracious, faithful, overflowing with love. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.